Hi, I'm Case Lowe, co-host of the Open the Voice Gate podcast. The one question I'm constantly asked when it comes to Dragon Gate is how do I get into the promotion? Well, stop asking and start listening to the Open the Voice Gate podcast released every Wednesday on the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. For exclusive news and show reviews, look no further than the leader in Dragon Gate coverage, Open the Voice Gate. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Hello and welcome back to the 8th Nights of Nitro special here from Days of Thunder. I'm your host, Dave Ryan, and I'm not joined by Lee Malone this week. For the first time in, God, I think since early COVID days, I'm being joined by a special guest this week uh, to toss through the details of... uh, a fairly, fairly infamous edition of Nitro, but I'll, I'll intro him first before we get into all that. He is one of the hosts of You've Got to Be Kidding Me on this very august podcasting network. It's my good friend and yours, Garrett Kidney. How are you, buddy? I am known for being a thorough WCW expert. <laughs> that's that's why I'm yeah. here. You were put in the forefront of my mind for asking uh, for a co-host spot when I saw you voluntarily indulge in some latter-day WCW lately on the timeline. So you only have yourself to blame. That is true, because I've seen... I did a full watch from, like, uh, the reboot, the what, May 2000 reboot onwards. <sighs> such, a, such a good one episode of television. <laughs> it goes downhill very, very quickly. So but I, I realised I had never actually watched, like, the early full Russo and Ferrara episodes of Nitro. Ah, yeah. And they are diabolical. (laughs) Oh, my God. It's so quick. It's so quick how bad it gets. Now, I mean, we'll talk about it on this show, but, like, um, it's already hallmarks of what would be the Russo and and Ferrara era are occurring during the Nash booking regime. So at a certain point, like, I think they're, like this company is just possessed by the spirit of bad booking and it didn't matter who was in charge, this thing was driving into a wall one way or the other. Um, but let's, let's rewind before we, we talk about this. Um, Garrett, you're a similar age to myself, a little bit younger, so what is your background with WCW? Do you remember watching any as a kid? Did you come to it later? What's your relationship with the product? Very, very little. Because we didn't have paid TV in my household until, I think it was 2002, 2003. Until after WCW was already dead. Mm. So I would have watched a bunch of WWF stuff, uh, either getting tapes from my aunt for a while, or from a bunch of people in school who did have paid TV and would bring me. Because if you you live in the UK or Ireland, used there on Sky or some kind of sign-up package. And we used to have what what was known as the poverty package back in the day, Dave, of just... 
the the, was it the the entertainment package or something the four base terrestrial channels in ireland uh, of tv3 yeah. well less even for a lot of wcw's yeah. existence but tv3 tg gather rt1 and rt2 none of which yeah. sadly showed wcw so i watched yeah. very very little i was on holidays in spain once and some channel was showing nitro and it was some terry funk hardcore match from like 2000 oh boy yeah so that's one of my favorite WCW memories. I owned Sold Out 2000 on videotape. <laughs> so I have seen that show like 15 times. Great. Do you have fond memories of Sold Out 2000? Yeah, I clearly thought Benoit was this huge deal as WCW champion. No, I have no idea what happened next, of course. But it's like, oh, Benoit's this big moment. He won the belt. Footage not found. And when I was growing up, I did have a, a few WCW toys. I had a Vampiro, which made me think Vampiro was far cooler. Actually, no, Vampiro was pretty cool, but still cooler than he actually was. I had a WCW Jeff Jarrett, and the ring I used for most of my childhood was a WCW Monday Nitro ring. So that that's my relationship with WCW. I was a WWF kid growing up, though. I watched very, very little of WCW before it died. I believe I had this. Was, the, was this the Nitro ring that had, like, the soft bit in the middle? Uh, yes. I think yeah. so, yeah. Because it was like, there was like a button on it that triggered, I don't know what it triggered, but there was like a button under the soft bit, I think. Yeah, I had a nitro ring of some description. I think that might have been the one. Um, My first wrestling figurines, I don't know if I ever said this on the show, were WCW ones as well. Um, In like a, a pound shop. Hey, for the uninitiated, for I am aware we have a lot of Americans that listen to this program. How would you describe a pound shop? I was going to say it's a dollar store, but it's not yeah, really, is it's it? Not, it's not quite. Because, like, a dollar store is more equivalent to, like, deals here, which isn't a, yeah. it's not a pound shop either. Yeah. Like, the old school pound shop where you'd walk in and you would find just all sorts of random knickknacks and, yeah. like, off-brand I, shit and weird I, things. A, a dollar store has, like, a thematic approach to how it's stocked mm. and planned and, and the kinds of things it gets in and a consistency to... If it had this thing before, it will continue to have this thing. There is a much more slapdash approach to the pound shop. And the pound shop, back when we were growing up, would typically, rather than be a chain of pound shops, it would be like a pound shop owned by a man who lives in the town. Yeah, it's like a mom and pop corner store. But instead of selling groceries, they sell random knickknacks they bought that other people couldn't sell. And, And any products whether they were toys or things for use in the home, were knockoff brands that you never heard of before and certainly didn't hear of after the fact. I remember I bought a sticker album for like a completely unidentified brand. It was like some alien thing with spaceships and aliens and a bunch of like weird characters. And mm. I have no idea what it was. I can't remember what like any of the details about it, but I was like, I yeah. need it. I don't know why I need it. I don't know what it is. <laughs> and I will never remember what it is. Maybe it was nothing. Maybe it was just a thing somebody made up to sell some stickers. Yeah. But I bought it and I bought far more of them than I should have. I have that for... Um, I, I recently... I, I, there was finally a payoff after about 25 years, right? Where... Do you remember book fairs in primary school? Yep. So, like, again, this is a thing that doesn't really happen anymore, where, like, um, a book publisher who would usually be the same book publisher, Folans, 
uh, or a couple of others like them that basically publish a lot of your books for primary school would also put out children's books. They would, they would publish them. And a couple of times a year, either them or Scholastic were the other ones, weren't they? The children's book publishers where they would like rock up to your primary school and just like set up shop in the in the gym in the primary school um, or the PE hall. Um, with like roller cases of books uh, for like a few pounds and you'd get to like go on your lunch break and go have a look in the book fair. Um, Which was like, the more I think about it, the more it was like a really pernicious way to like fleece children out of a little bit of money Um, because like there would obviously be a huge amount of pressure going on mom and dad to make sure that you go in with the fiver the following day to get your book. But I remember getting a book in one in about like 1996 that was about like um, a rabbit who went to space in a giant space carrot. And for about 20 years, I had this like half memory of this book. And it was like, it was the first comic book I ever read. Cause it was like, it was the size and, and shape of a normal kind of like book, but it was like, it was fully illustrated and comic booky uh, on the inside. And I thought I'd made it up because I, I would say it to my friends constantly. And um, none of them, had ever heard of anything like it, nor remember me being having the book all the time. And then, lo and behold, I was in like a second-hand shop about five or six years ago, and just rooting through the books, and I found Rudley Cabot. Uh, <laughs> Rudley Cabot? Yes. <laughs> what a name. Rudley Cabot, and it was like, it was the golden carrot or something like that. And like, it all just like, I nearly... I nearly burst into tears. I was so happy that I I wasn't crazy in the middle of the job. Yes, Rudley Cabot in the quest for the golden Cabot by Keith Brumpton. Brumpton, is, what a day! Which is incredible. Yeah, I'll I'll read you. I'll read you the uh, on Goodreads, of course, the Amazon book review app. They have a synopsis: a hilarious action-packed romp through space, starring a daring Indiana Jones-style rabbit in full-color comic book format. Rudley Cabot is bored, dreaming of turnips in his lettuce towers on Rabbit Connolly twenty-seven X. Why is so the rabbit discovered... bored, dreaming of turnips? That's not rabbit-like. And and living in lettuce towers. Yeah. Um. He uh, discovers a secret burrow and a mysterious map. He wastes no time. He sets out in search of the long-lost spaceship, the Golden Carrot. <laughs> Maybe they don't have classic. carrots. That's why you have to go after the spaceship. But I, I picked it up. I was trying to look around because it is on my shelves here somewhere. Uh, but it's, yeah, it's a Stone Cold classic, I gotta say. Did you read uh, it again? I did. I, 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 ha- I had to. And it was actually, because I was about six at the time, I wasn't expecting much. But it was like pitched a couple of years higher than my age at the time, I think. Um, like just some of the verbiage that's used in it. But it's like, I think it's something I'd pass on to my own children. They probably enjoy. Um. But anyway, World Championship Wrestling, guys. <laughs> yeah, I bought my toys in Roach's stores, which is also gone. We're a lot of niche yeah. Irish references in this episode yeah. so far. Oh, that's, yeah, that's why we, we're, I was talking about pound shops. Yeah, uh, I went in and found, like, definitely not WCW figures, and it was a double set that had definitely not DDP and definitely not Raven, <laughs> uh, with a definitely not WCW trash can. Uh, and those were my first ever wrestling figures. And then I think I followed that up with uh, Jericho and Kurt Angle. So I was building up like a really solid like intercontinental title division. You were a work, work rate kid from the beginning. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely was. Um, so we, we come to Nitro now uh, and the one we're going to talk about. And so, yeah, you're going slightly back from where you've been watching recently. But I, I suppose in the broad strokes, what was it like... Um, jumping into the middle of 1999 nitro uh without any pretext 
You know what took me most by surprise? What's that? There was absolutely loads of wrestling on this show. There was, like, a really uncharacteristic for Nitro at this time. Uh, a few long matches as well. Some um, arguably far too long. Uh-huh. Yes. But, uh, yeah, all, like, a bunch of the matches got time. There was, like, a bunch of matches between good wrestlers. Not all of them turned out mm-hmm. to be good matches between good wrestlers, but you could, mm-hmm. they tried their best. I, I was furious at some of the finishes because it's WCW. Yes. But mm-hmm. I was surprised by, like, how, because I, I, I'm coming off the Russo episodes, which are just like parades of nonsense or there's a how, new th- how can we hide the fact that this is a show about wrestling there is a new thing on the screen every two minutes and it does that for three hours because the, they only switch back to two hour nitros i think right at the turn of the year in 2000 yes so like the first three months of russo is just full crazy three hour russo nitros or it's yeah. like this is like a pretty straightforward coherent wrestling show i was surprised about how like how normal it was honestly yeah, the thing I was kind of taken aback by that uh, they clearly just don't bother with on Thunder. Well, they, I mean, when they do, they overdo it, and that's video packages. Mm. I feel like they showed you, if you were just dropping in like you, they showed you video packages that comprehensively showed you why the important things were important, didn't outstay their welcome. Uh, and I think maybe, maybe there was a, one video package that was essentially a repeat of another one, but like Thunder is just at this stage on the taped thunders it's like wall to wall how many times can we repeat the same video package before they turn off the tv i think it's it i think it's some sort of bet they have um so i was even though i wasn't wild about the show overall i i do totally see that like the format of the show was i don't want to say rock solid i feel like that's giving them too much credit but it's 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 discernibly it discernibly has a structure to it, which is more than we'll be able to say in a few months, I think. Yeah, like you sit there and you watch it and you're like, this is a professional wrestling show, which yeah. you don't get a lot from WCW. It's like, it's just a normal pro wrestling show of which there are occasionally some decent things and largely just stuff happens and you just stare at the screen. Can I ask you, like, I, I suppose it would be remiss of me to have the TNA guy on and not ask the question. And that is... In your experience now, having gone back and watched some of his WCW stuff, which Russo booking regime was worse? WCW or, I mean, I guess any one of the times that TNA hired him? I think it is WCW. Like, those those first few months of him and Ferrara are just absolutely chaos. It's, it's very it's, it's interesting. You can actually see the exact same decline. Like, if you watch, not that October 98, 99 WCW was, like, the pinnacle of television. But when you look at, like, pre-Russo, post-Russo, it's like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. It's like a storm has hit. And the exact same thing happens in, like, September, October 2006 TNA, where you go from, like, a real good coherent product to Russo just immediately dragging it into the Russoisms. But yeah. I will say broadly the Russoisms of TNA were nearly always funnier. Yeah. As opposed to WCW which was nearly always just bad because like he couldn't do a lot of the like real gaudy crash TV stuff in TNA the same way he could in WCW or try to until standards and practices constantly got in his way or it yeah. was like all like the just horrible 90s stuff that by 06 wasn't gone but was less acceptable in mainstream anything or just like yeah. misogyny and homophobia and all that and racism all the stuff that, <laughs> yeah. that you would associate <laughs> no. with Russo. Yeah, not that he wouldn't do it. He was just finding, like, 
I don't want to say subtle, but like different ways to to get at the kind of program he wanted. But yeah, it wasn't like an all out assault on all senses with this stuff like it was in WCW. Um, I I think it's an interesting one because like to me the the difference is like I I think maybe. Like, I was a huge WCW fan, so, like, my biases tell me I'm more disappointed in what he did to WCW, but, like, if I try to be impartial about it, it's like, WCW was on its way down already, like, at this period we're covering. Like, it was already in trouble, it already wasn't good, um... So he he definitely made it worse, whereas TNA was coming off at like a hot hand of, like, you know, 2005-06 was the period where I, like, got super into TNA. Um, and then I super was not into DNA very quickly. <laughs> and the worst part of it is like Russo coming in into TNA was the exact same time they signed Kurt Angle. Yeah. So like what should have been a real moment that could have actually taken them to another level, like adding Kurt Angle to the mix of what TNA was in in mid-2006 should have been like, oh, this company's about to go on. It's about to kick on from here. But then at the same time, they also brought back Russo. So it's like for everything you add with Kurt, you take away with Russo. Yeah. What a one-two punch of like, we have just, look at this guy we just signed to be like the top guy in the company now. Oh, this is going to be great. Who's writing for him? Oh. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) I, I do insist that if I could reach into wrestling history, like all of wrestling history, and change one event... It would be that in like September 06, where I would have Russo not return to TNA, and the main event of Bound for Glory that year is just Joe beating Jared for the title. And then you mm. kick on with Joe as champion and Angle debuting, and you build toward Joe and Angle for a year instead of doing it like in his first match, which was awesome yeah. at the time, but build to it for a year instead of doing it in his first match. You don't want to beat Joe yeah. straight away. Yeah, there's a there's a there's a fine line, isn't there? Because it's something that I I think of after you've said that now is how like one of the and I think sometimes valid complaints about Tony Khan's booking now is that he waits too long to play the hot hand of like a particular feud or a, t- a particular match, and sometimes he's waited so long, like with some of the punk dream matches from his first year before all the unpleasantness. Um, that he waited on a bunch of matches he could have pulled the trigger on, and we we may never get those, um, depending on what AW Collision looks like. <laughs> but uh, yeah, there definitely is like a balance between like doing it right away, like uh, Angle Joe, and waiting so long that things got off the boil, uh, like like Tony has a couple of times, I think. Um, but uh, look, let's get into this show. Nitro 196 coming to you from the Superdome in New Orleans, Louisiana, 21st of June 1999, getting a 3.1 rating. And there was a while there, uh, Garrett, where the Thunder rating was starting to dip towards the low threes and, you know, sometimes under it. Um, But the Nitro rating was kind of holding. It wasn't starting to degrade at the same rate. Uh, but now the last couple of times we've dipped into Nitro, I'm noticing that number is is coming down nicely. Uh, yeah, like th- there uh, are less stars on the show at the moment. There are still yeah. some, but like you don't have Hogan, you don't have Goldberg, who are mm-hmm. the, probably the, the the two big stars in the company right now, alongside maybe Sting. Yeah, and and you've just had Gold, uh, not Goldberg. Sorry, you just had Booker T come back, who obviously they were heating up before his injury. Um, you have a couple of returns, like Sting just came back recently. 
Um, I was shocked. Um, we'll talk about him coming out. Uh, we'll talk about him being cited later. But Lex Luger, I thought, was gone at the moment because it's been so long since he's been on Thunder or a pay-per-view. That I was just like, oh, that guy must be injured or something. I haven't seen him in so long. But that guy just don't work twice a week, I guess. Yeah, he doesn't do Thunders. Yeah. I-, I think one of the things that, like, if I was... Um, if I was watching every show in 99 up until this point, like I'm pretty sure I only started watching recently as this, this show was happening. But if like, I was a hardcore WCW fan through like that from 96 up until now, I think the thing about the current product that would turn me off the most and make me one of the people that was tuning out is this absolute obsession with convincing you that the flair and Piper thing is in any way interesting or good. I did like their backstage segment. It, look, it was. I will give you that it was maybe the most I've been entertained by them. But I, I guess it's easier for you to come in. I have been dealing with this feud for I feel like my entire adult life. Because yeah, I've got into like their like silly double act backstage where he's like, "I'm or PVP Roddy Piper Vice President," and they make decisions mm. and they're booking matches. And then he's like, yeah. "I, I want to book Sting against Sid in the main event." And Flair's like, "For free," and Roddy Piper's like, "For free." Yeah, yeah, it's uh. It's so I, I guess it's one of those things like you know the way we might dip into like a rumble and a mania every year and when there's like bad stuff on the screen we're just wildly entertained by it because we have no dog in the race anymore with WWE mm. like that might be the case whereas like you're looking at this going that was hilarious I'm looking at this going I have to watch this whole thing play out <laughs> and I hate it <laughs> yeah to be heard their actual in-ring segment and match not great but that little no, backstage segment I, I enjoyed their little backstage <laughs> antics um so we are here in New Orleans um we get a recap to start us off setting the scene for Master P and his feud with uh the Rednecks um Garrett uh are you uh, au fait with the No Limit Soldiers and Master P? Is this your, your first exposure to them? And, and what are your thoughts on this Motley crew? I have, other than his involvement in pro wrestling and weirdly co-owner of current indie House of Glory, I have no knowledge of who Master P is. <laughs> like, yeah. I am the least cool person you will ever come across. So <laughs> even if I was, a, like, because uh, what, when this show aired, I would have been seven, which I don't think is in peak yeah. Master P years. Even if I was a little no. bit older, I would have still been way too much of a nerd of a kid to have any idea who Master yeah. P was. I think I was I think I might have said this when he showed up is that like I I know the name Master P but he had even at his very peak no cultural penetration here no um but I I am I am led to believe I have it on good word that he was a big deal for a very like concentrated period of time um again like I said um last week uh with lee I, I i think the thing that impresses me most about him is that like he may not have been the most kind of like fervent wrestling fan in the world he clearly like you know he talked about how he grew up watching it you know i don't know how huge a fan he was but the thing i like about him most and the thing wcw had a weirdly good track record with is that celebrities they brought in for the most part whether they were good or bad with the angle or the match they would do you got the sense that, with the exception of Jay Leno, they were all <laughs> trying very hard. Yeah, Master P seems to be having himself a very good time on this show. Yeah, yeah, he's uh, he is having a ball, and he's really trying to like make a make a success of this and get his boy swole over as well in the process. 
we also get a, a recap at the start of your favorite presidential double act, Piper and Flair. Um, one thing I do like, and I, I was saying this uh, in the in the intro a bit, like in terms of the structure and the things I think they're doing well. One thing um, that I found anyway that they pushed really well as being like, because they've already, wins and losses are out the window in this company for the most part. But they really make a big deal about how buff uh, pinned Flair. Yeah. Um, and I think that's like, that's a big deal. Because like, even though I'm not into the Flair character and I'm not into what he's doing with um, Piper and the double turn in the cage with Hogan is one of the most embarrassing things I've ever seen in my life. Um, it's still rare for him to eat a clean loss. Um, and it was like, even though you'd done a lot to cool buff off since the neck injury, I, I think they were at least trying something here. It's a thing I think you can give WCW structurally, which is quite different from, I think, most other TV shows. And as evidenced by Thunder, they occasionally go far too far in this direction. But mm. I think they were broadly good at reinforcing their big angles or big moments. Like, the follow-up on it and the next angle would usually be terrible. But, like, if they did a cool thing, they would try and drive home that they did a cool thing. They they really do pace segments, which I think is the biggest contrast to the Russo era, where it's like, something happens, you move on to seven different things, and you've completely forgotten what happened 20 minutes ago. As opposed yeah. to these shows, which are paced in a way that I think, like, they're, they spend the entire show, sometimes to a detriment, being like, oh, Nash and Sting are not on the same page. Is there yeah. something happening there? And they really try to beat home those story beats, as opposed to, like, drive past them. Yeah, yeah. The Russo thing was more like, oh, what's that? You stood up to get a can of beer out of the fridge. You missed four seconds <laughs> yeah. while you were gone. Whereas this, yeah, it does chew in it. And yeah, it, I suppose it isn't so much the detriment of Nitro as it is, as you say, Thunder, where they are trying to make it important. And unfortunately, what happens then sometimes is they replay entire Nitro segments on Thunder. Uh, uncut. You losing uh, your mind at the full match with entrances last time did amuse me. It's like 30, 34 minutes of Nitro <laughs> on my Thunder show is outrageous, even for them. Um, so uh, we had we also saw a promo from Macho, uh, and he's uh, talking about being vicious. You get it, uh, and he's doing it while he's wearing the world's most enormous fur coat. Um, they show the Nash beatdown, which we talked about on the last episode of Thunder. Then we get a black Hummer. So we've already moved from the white Hummer to the black Hummer. Uh, a black Hummer pulls up and Team Madness are here. Uh, and then <laughs> I- I've never seen a limo try to look inconspicuous before. <laughs> Stealth limo. <laughs> I love the idea that Kevin Dash sneaks up on this Hummer via limo. And then yeah. the Hummer drives away as Nash tries to chase it. <laughs> Yeah, like Nash, an unbelievably conspicuous person being (laughs) as huge as he is in the longest vehicle you could possibly book (laughs) for such a segment. Like he couldn't just be in like, you know, a small nondescript sedan. Even the fact that he's pulling up, like it's not that it's like he sees the Hummer coming and he walks up and like approaches. It's like, no, he is also entering the building via limo. Yeah, and also if you look in the background, I believe the shutter to the building is closed. <laughs> so like both these both these cars are in the building clearly uh, already, and, and yet like I, it's weird to say the limo tiptoed up behind the, the Hummer, but that is essentially what was happening. Like it just creeped up on, 
And then as you say, Nash gets out and tries to set off at a run. And the Hummer driver speeds away, presumably to the other side of the garage. Um, we then get our first Nitro Girls segment uh, of the show. And I want to come out uh, and say on this show, Garrett, I, I have a newfound appreciation for the Nitro Girls. And do you want to know why? Why? I realized on this show that the amount and it's always an unnecessary amount of Nitro Girls badly dancing segments we get on these shows gives me time to catch up on my typing. That's that's good of them because you don't have to pay yeah. any attention unless you want to be like, they were out of sync there. Oh, no, that's not going so well. Or the, the Bobby Heenan line where they were talking about how they have this competition to recruit a new Nitro Girl. And then yeah. Bobby Heenan is like, I'd like to be on that search that, hmm, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's like there's there's almost nothing to ever analyze about a Nitro Girl segment because it's like they can dance about as well as people who can't really dance can. Mm. You know, there's like a couple of them who I think had like a, a some sort of professional dancing background, but that is not uniformly the case. And, you know, almost always someone will go at least slightly out of sync with the rest of them. And there are some times where there's maybe five of them in the ring and they're all clearly just doing their own fucking thing. Uh, <laughs> there was no element to, to make it a kind of thematic performance or anything. And there's usually only one of about three songs that they dance to. Mm. Um, so there's, there's never much to do. But it is great because sometimes the Nitro Girls punctuate important moments on the show. Um, like, it's not fair on them that they are essentially the mental piss break of the show. Um <laughs> But in terms of me having to recap, usually they follow something major on a Nitro. So I'm able to like fully type out my exact thoughts as this is happening because each one eats up like 60 to 90 seconds of programming. So Nitro Girls, thank you for your service. Yeah, there's three of them on the show. Yeah. So it's like they were clearly they were clearly cutting corners at this stage because it was a full like small army of them sometimes on Nitros prior. Um. I also noticed that when they like they did the Nitro Girl segment and then they did the big pyro to open the show, Dave Penzer was standing in the ring, very nearly cremated by the pyro. Uh, it was excessive amounts of ring post pyro. Uh, and then, like, I, one of my favorite things that happens on Nitro sometimes is they do big recap, Nitro Girls, pyro, ad break. Yeah, I had the exact same thought. <laughs> I'm like, okay, we're four minutes into the show. To be fair, they did cut the Master P performance. This is where it was. But, yes. but you, So, you watched the Master P performance. Of course I watched the Master P performance. Talk to me about it. It is four and a half minutes of Master P and the No Limit Soldiers performing to, as you might imagine, the whitest crowd imaginable. <laughs> So oh my God. they just cut to crowd shots of like very white people politely swaying a little bit to Master P and the No Limit Soldiers yeah. performing Hootie Who. I kind of for like a 90s predominantly like um, rowdy crowd. WCW was like they their crowds were fairly polite for an act that I'm pretty sure they didn't care for. Yeah, it's not like, know, like what, what's the name of your man who did SummerSlam and everyone hated. Oh, the country the, music guy. It's like one the, word, one name. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, whatever that dude's name is with the one of the worst musical performances in wrestling history. And like, I was at WrestleMania twenty five. I had to sit through a ten minute Kid Rock concert on that show. So, <laughs> <laughs> that's the bar, and somehow this 
dude, it's like, it's not, I was going to say it's like Howdy, but that's like racist the country music musicians. <laughs> Hardy, it's Hardy, that's what Hardy, it is. Hardy, There yes, you go. Yes. Um, God, I was, try- I was trying to look up uh, country music summer slam <laughs> and that search result gave me a horrifying amount of, oh, no. Yeah, let's not get into it. So many songs. So Master P cleared that bar. Uh, four and a half minutes is very long for a musical performance on a wrestling show. You should do like a cut down, like 90 second version of your performance. Yeah. Come on. Unlike a televised, but this is part of um, the initiative now for the summer is to have musical acts on Nitro regularly. Um, so, Dude, like, know, obviously, do. I think that's mostly just an Eric Bischoff ego thing to have musicians he likes near him. Yes, there's partly that. And then I think partly the thing where... I think he might be se- smelling the the jig is up and being like, you know what will do great on my TV show? Live music. Mm. Um, which I don't think is a famous rating success um, in, in terms of like, you know, wrestling having live music on. I don't know if like Fozzy on 2003 Raw or whenever it was <laughs> did fucking killer numbers or when the kiss demon arrives i don't think he was fucking blowing the doors off any buildings but he tried it nonetheless i believe Um, when eric bischoff opened impact with two minutes of him playing guitar that's the one that really popped a rating (laughs) that's that's the live music he's been building to towards his entire life god that's another shared trauma of ours is eric bischoff the on-screen character oh god damn because like he can, he, like it, he is it, a talented performer but also a thoroughly yeah. obnoxious one that you don't want to oh. watch for prolonged periods of time garrett i have said it countless times on-screen heel raw gm eric bischoff loved him mm. absolute one of the most slappable faces in the history of television um but yes the the mind not so much no not which is so the reason much. when you posted that gif in the the, the discord uh, of russo and bischoff i'm like i think i prefer to be russo in that situation and that's saying something yeah yeah like you get at least like they're both idiots mm. but bischoff is pretentious as well yeah he also you know? talks so much shit now it's just like i remember his recent yeah. rant about how like oh a bunch of shows these days just have matches on them that don't serve any purpose this episode of Nitro was like 80% just matches. Yeah. Like if you if if you think um him not remembering anything he did during WCW was legit and not just him trying to act like he's not a massive hypocrite, I don't know what to tell you. Well, that's it's a good I thing where he suddenly has complete total recall. Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, he's uh He's quite a piece of work, isn't he? Mm. Um, just uh, a calamitous fraud, some might say. <laughs> calamitous fraud. Um, Who had like one good year in his career and has been living off it ever since. Yeah, yeah. Like, really, I never would have shown my face in public after the like daring t- uh, Vince to show up on pay per view thing <laughs> <laughs> to fight him, fight him at karate. Oh, easy. Good God, damn. But yeah, the, the, and the, that the love stru- of karate got us the cat as well. Oh, we'll get to him. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the, the way this show opens on the WWE Network, where it is like opening video, Hummer segment, Nitro Girls commercial break. It's like okie doke. Perfect. It's crystallized, like vintage World Championship Wrestling. Mm. Um, Tony is rocking a sweet new uh, shirt with the green shirt, kind of like a an almost uh, camo green. With uh, the new WCW logo on it, slightly too big. 
and slightly like the stitching on it is slightly too high towards the shoulder for where like I think it's it should be on a shirt but I liked it nonetheless a bit jealous uh Heenan though is uh is contrasting that with the I have totally given up on this as a job and as a viable company because he's just wearing a t-shirt and a sleeveless cardigan he's going back to bed after this bless Heenan for even showing up this long you could tell even at this stage oh, I'm just not sure I, I know this. I know physically he showed up, <laughs> but <laughs> I think that is the only way in which you could say he showed up on this program. God bless him. Like, I think he would still at this time, like at least feign interest sometimes uh, on pay-per-view. And when his guys are on, he's still like, there's still bits of old Heenan in there. And he's always good for a, a Hogan burial when Hogan's on a show. But yeah, this is like, this man is among the first on the production side of things to uh, smell what's up. Uh, so he is not, he's not putting in a shift tonight, let's just say. Um, we get another Master P recap before anything happens in the ring. And this one includes Swole uh, and Wyndham involvements at the pay-per-view. This is kind of the recap of the, the what happened there with the coal miners glove and all sorts. Um did you recognize anybody? I I I didn't uh, on my initial watch, but I know I'm pretty sure I noticed somebody amongst the uh, the power plant trainee security staff. I didn't. Who was it? There was one very distinct, very famous rat tail there. I am almost certain that I had my first sighting of Reno. Oh, uh, as one of the yellow shirt security there. I I do, I can't imagine there were multiple people in the power plant at this time with that long and obscene of a rat tail <laughs> with no other hair on his head. You know, the death of WCW, more than anybody screwed over that generation of power plant guys, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. They, that's the thing. Like, there was loads of power plant guys who were like either bad, 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 bad. Mm. Or there was ones that showed promise right towards the end of WCW, but then the place fucking shut up shop. Yeah, because you, you um, had like... Jindrak, who's pretty good. Stamboli, who's pretty yeah. good. I'm not sure Stamboli a power bank grad. Um, uh, I think he is, yeah. O'Hare. All those guys. Like, all the natural born thrillers, basically. Even, like, Mike yeah. Sanders could have been Above a thing. average Mike Sanders. Like, all of those guys are guys who had promised and maybe in a real company yeah. could have actually done something, but WWE did not give a shit about any of them. I'm excited to get to the arrivals of, like, the Palumbos and the O'Hares, mm. because I was, like... I was always a fan of theirs, and I, I really hope that it's not a rose tit. Like, because, you know, in 2000, 2001 WCW, I get even at that age, at like 10 or 11 when I was watching it, I was probably holding on to dear life for anything that wasn't awful. Mm. Like, I am I am very much learning that Lash LaRue is not the icon of World Championship Wrestling I had built him up as in my head. It's a heartbreaker for you. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll see. Now, Corporal Cajun might turn it round for me next <laughs> oh, year. Oh, we'll no, see. I hate that entire act. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, it'll be a while. We haven't even got to the filthy animals yet. So, it's we have a little while before the Misfits in action. Um, so, then we get uh, one of the, again, like... Are we sure Russo's not here at this stage? Where we get a, what I could only describe as a gay panic motivational speech. I don't know what you mean, Dave. Lenny and Lodi just love each other. There, there's no panic here. There's just love. There's a lot They're more gay panic pals. later on the show. Yes, there is. It gets much worse. Um, but he gives the motivational speech. The one thing I did chuckle at was that it was ahead of the Titanic clash later on in the program. Lenny versus Meng. That's a dream yes. match for everybody in the world. So we've that to look forward to. Our opening match, finally... 
if you factor in the the concert, the Master P concert, this is about 20 to 25 minutes into this <laughs> show at this stage with a commercial break, um, is Psychosis versus Kidman. Um, look, for a dreadful program and a dreadful product from a dreadful company, there's a lot of people in this building. There's, uh, well, Tony says over 20,000. Cage Match says 17,249. I'm going to go with the Cage Match inmates on this one, I think. Even then. Although, like, Tony famously, who it might have been 40,000. No <laughs> he undersold it, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like, like it looks huge. WCW have that TNA thing as well, where the way they shoot buildings makes 17,000 look like 40. Like, yeah. they can make a, a packed building look a lot bigger than WWF ever did. They have a good thing with the... Do you know the way, like, WWE have the thing where, like, they'll completely turn off the lighting in the upper decks yeah. uh, if, they're, if they're empty or, or sparsely populated? What I know is about WCW is they have this kind of way of lighting the back areas of these arenas where it's kind of like the rather than just go from... Uh, fully lights on to fully lights off. It's like the light tapers off as it goes up and it gives the kind of optical illusion that the packed crowd keeps on going up into the shadows when it almost certainly doesn't. Um, So yeah, like fair play to them on that. And like, I love one of the production tropes of WCW I love are like the high wide angle shots Mm like looking down from like basically it's as if somebody just gave sting a camera when he's up in the rafters <laughs> to look down and it's it, it looks fabulous it does it looks like there's so many people like if you were to ask me like eyeball one of those camera shots how many people are at the show i'd say like forty thousand. it looks like yeah. it yeah um I, I i loved how at the start of this match the crowd are just excited to see anyone do anything in the ring god bless them uh, Sikosa starts the match strong, but Kidman manages to clothesline him over the top. Plancha and follow up with a slingshot, slingshot leg drop. Uh, there's a struggle up top, and uh, Sikosa gets off a sit-out face buster for two. Um, then we get... Uh, I, I make a habit on this show, and I don't know why, because I shouldn't, I shouldn't indulge wrestling fans in the 90s, but sometimes I look into the crowd on the hard cam, and I see, hey, what are people doing? What are people talking about? What have people got on signs? And I saw... I think the most horrifying I want to stop doing this podcast one two punch of signs. Oh, would you like to hear them? I'm wondering because I spent at least two matches on this show crowd watching, so I wonder did I also okay. note these signs? Go ahead. Over on the left hand side, these signs were right beside each other. The first one I saw, and this kind of made me just sad and roll my eyes, was Scott Hall drank my beer. Mm. Right? Mm. And I was like, that's poor taste. I don't like that. That's bad, but that's probably the worst I'm going to see. And then a young man shot up confidently with maybe the worst thing I've ever seen on a sign. Three words. Goldberg fears Hitler. <laughs> I, you know what? I, there, there is many things I expected to come out of your mouth then. That's not one of them. Guard, like I'm... <laughs> I'm a very hard man to offend, I have to say. <laughs> but I was clutching my pearls. I was like, oh my God. Like, I get that in the late 90s, the whole, there wasn't a hope of the Nazis coming back. Mm-hmm. And maybe looking back at it with 2023 eyes where the Nazis are very much back. Uh, 
adds a certain level to it. But I can't imagine there is a time since, oh, let's say the mid-1930s, where that's a sign that should be going over big with people. Holy shit. Holy shit. God damn it, Louisiana. I saw it, right? So, like, at first I saw the Goldberg Fears and I saw H. And your brain does the autocomplete. I'm like, is it Goldberg Fears Heart? Goldberg Fears Heart. And then, like, it, it's almost like it hap- it's one of those things that happens in slow motion. <laughs> where, like, he rises up the sign again and I start reading across. I was like, okay, that's an I. That's a t- oh, oh, no. No, 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 no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh. Anyway, that it took me very much out of the match, but I, I'll try to get back into it here. Sikosis throws Kidman into a rail a couple of times for the heat. Um, uh, Sikosis hits a split-legged moonsault off the apron. Yeah. Uh, very impressive. Um, I do love I, I do love these two guys, and I love... Um, I, I don't know how much uh, Sikosis you've watched over the years, Garrett, but I, I, I have always admired his ability to be like the strong bully base for the smaller guys like the Ray and the, and the Hoovies. But there are some times where he just, do you know what? He's just like, do you know what? I'm, go- I'm going to have a match where I'm pulling out all the flips. Uh, and this is one of those where he's just doing like a bit more high risk stuff because Billy is bigger and a bit more solid and can base for him as well. I'm a, I'm a big Psychosis fan around this time. Yeah, because like when you think of the three guys who did come up from Mexico who got like opportunities, the, th- the three big ones who actually got something resembling a push at various stages are Psychosis, Ubi, and Ray. And I think people generally put Psychosis at, like, the bottom of that three. And, yeah. like, he's, like, his stuff peaks probably lowest, but he's also pretty, yeah. like, he's damn great. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's like, consistent. And, like, as opposed to, like, Ray, who is, just like, just a phenomenon from, like, the moment you first see him and is just, like, a special, like, it's unfair to compare anybody to Ray. Like, no one is Ray. Yeah, there's the very upsetting thing of, like, he came up the contemporary rival of one of the best wrestlers ever. Yeah, yeah. Um, But then you've got Hoovy, who, like, for the first couple of years was flat-out bad. Like, could do a bunch of really impressive-looking spots, but could not put a match together to save his life. And then... When it starts clicking, like shortly before, you know, now when we're we're talking in the timeline, um, around that time they're just like, hey, this is all going very well for Hoovy right now. Why don't we turn him heel and make him talk? Mm. That should fucking sort him out. And uh, we have yet to get into the period where, like, I've I've told Lee about this before because everybody knows about the Stevie Ray tenure as color commentator on Thunder, and I said to him. You have no idea how bad it gets when routinely they have the juice do commentary uh, when uh, he is still very much not a strong English speaker and uh, also doesn't really give a shit. Nope. Though Psychosis also has two other things going for him. A killer theme song. Yes. And also he comes out with a towel on his head with uh, holes cut in it for his horns. Yes. Which I appreciate. Great commitment to the bit. Yeah. Yes. Uh... So, Kidman counters a top rope nothing with a drop kick, sky high from Billy. Uh, Psychosis spinning wheel kick off the top for two as the commentators, uh, within minutes of the start of this match, are uh, more preoccupied talking about uh, who 
is driving the Hummer. Yeah, like um, that that amazes me when you look at how this show started, which is like recap packages of both the No Limit Soldier stuff and the, the Hummer stuff. A Hummer segment, then an announcer on camera speculating about the Hummer. So they've already done yeah. like three segments talking about the Hummer before they get to this opening match. And then yes. they still spend half this match talking about the Hummer. Half, half this fucking show talking about the Hummer. And like part of me is really impressed because I'm like... This segment happened three weeks ago. There have been zero developments. The conversation is always the exact same conversation. And yet they're still managing to get airtime out of it. Like the conversation is always Tanae or Tony going, who do you think drove the White Hummer? Of course, we saw the White Hummer, you know, tried to kill Kevin Nash. And then you will have the, the color commentator will always say, I don't know who, or just say a random name and then suggest that they're going to get to the bottom of it themselves and never do. My favorite part of that is Heenan is like, I'm going to get to the bottom of it. And Tony says, we'll hold our breath. And Heenan just replies, don't, you'll probably pass out. Yeah. There, there's also the, the running bit of like, there's loads of wrestlers who are like, just saying, oh, it definitely wasn't me. Mm. And the commentators like completely ignore that and continue to baselessly speculate. No matter what. And like there's the thing where apparently Eric Bischoff said on the website that it's apparently he saw it was a woman around the scene. And then still they're like, what if it was Sting? Oh, I, I yeah, I don't know if you uh, listened to the, to the podcast where we talked about it or um, if you uh, had ever read this. But you know who around that time the idea was it was going to be. I remember I listened to the episode, but I also have forgotten who he said it was going to be. Oh, Thank you for giving me the chance to say this incredibly 90s personality's name again. Carmen Electra. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> yes. Yes. Actually, that's yes. good. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Incredible. That would have been awesome. <laughs> A better reveal than the higher power across on the other channel later this year. Yes. Yeah. Or the powers that be on this channel. Um, so Kidman jumps down to continue the assault, but Team Madness have arrived. Big choke slam on Kidman from Sid. A medium-sized boot on Psychosis. He couldn't even muster getting the boot up high. Uh, Macho hangs Kidman up on the ropes. Big Sid chant. Uh, people are really into Sid being back. Uh, Macho calls for a powerbomb, but Sting comes out about one half of a second too late. <laughs> Is like Kidman just gets buried into the mat and Sting hits the ring. On the topic of slightly too late, my favorite part of all of this is if you watch Kidman goes up for the shooting star, and I'm presuming that's when uh, Sid and Savage are meant to do the run in while Kidman's going for the shooting star. So he just awkwardly stands on the top rope for like 10 seconds before, as you said, just gets down and starts kicking uh, Psychosis a little more before then Sid and Savage show up. Psychosis is trying to buy time and the only thing he can think of to do is to like roll slightly back and forth like a worm. <laughs> it's like he's a moving target. He's hard to hit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, he's moving like maybe three or to four centimeters left and right. Yeah. It's great. Um, and I'll tell you, if you really enjoy people running out for a non-finish, this is a show for you, my friend. I think it's literally every match and I will be much more frustrated with it later. Fair play to how hard these two dudes worked knowing they had this finish, by the way. Yeah, like, honestly, you hear that's the finish from your agent before you go out. Like, I'm phoning it in every day of the week. Yeah, I do think there are other wrestlers on the show who heard they had that finish in, like, Headlock City, maybe. As opposed to these two who went out and had a pretty good match. This segment then bleeds into the next with Nash coming out to meet Sting. Like, it's probably ECW-ass shit. It's just like, no, no, sorry, another segment. We don't have fucking time. Get out there, get out there, get out there. 
Um, Nash casting some aspersions on Sting here. He's like, you didn't put a hand on those guys and they just left. What's up with that? And I watched the tape last week. You got out of a black Hummer and grabbed Rick Steiner. What's with that? Uh, Detective Nash here. Um, ha- did uh, Nash go on in, in total nonstop action to show his continued powers of sleuthing? He didn't do a lot. Oh, he did. He did that segment where he wore the Sherlock Holmes hat and the pipe. Yes. 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 He, he wore the deerstalker. I do remember that image. So there you go. He is longstanding Detective Nash. That's that's long term booking. Mm. I'll tell you. Long term storytelling. Uh, so Sting denies it. Uh, Nash says, look, I'm not threatening you. And then threatens him. Yeah. Which is great. <laughs> and my favorite thing is like, I'm not accusing you of anything, even though I just suggested you were the driver of the limo. Yeah. Not suggesting it was you. But I think it was you. Not threatening you, but if it was you, I'm going to kick your ass. <laughs> <laughs> Tremendous stuff from Big Kev here. Uh, we get what <laughs> what I called the summit of perverts with Flair and Piper talking <laughs> backstage. Sitting in their pervert uh, chair as well with their pervert logo yeah. above them. I'll tell you what, this was your segment of the night by the sounds of it. Do you want to do you want to explain what they're doing here? Yeah, cuz they're they're hanging around their pals even though they were literally just fighting over presidency, but because Buff ran in the hate yeah. Buff, I guess they've decided to be co well no, president and vice president very importantly. Uh yeah. and they, they bonded over the universal language of thinking Buff Bagwell's a dickhead. Which fair enough. So th- this entire segment is them like putting together main events. So they're like, yo, you know, Sting and Nash don't get along. So let's put them in a tag team against Sid and Savage for the pay-per-view and then Piper has the brilliant idea it's like oh but we have to have something for tonight Rick so our main event will be Sting versus Sid in a singles match it'll be great and then Flair's like for free for free for free and then they do antics I like if this was all they did like sat backstage and made matches in silly fashion thumbs up it'd be a fun pairing one of my favorite wrestling bits across multiple companies multiple bookers is when the on-screen authority figures don't book the show until it's well into its first hour so like oh rick i guess we need a fucking main event tonight (laughs) how about this and he pitches the main event and like poor rick nearly has a fucking stroke he's so happy Mm. um he loves this uh, so we get flashback of the Piper turn then, just in case you didn't know what was going on already, even though like their secret evil villain meeting backstage, you know, probably should have tipped the cap on what was happening. Roddy Piper loved uh, that RPVP thing as well. He was like, RPVP? Yeah. RPVP? RPVP. Yeah, yeah they, they did love that. I, I wonder, did they ever do a t-shirt of that? Because like Piper's going through a string of hideous t-shirts. Oh, the reality check one is really bad. It's an all-time bad one. Um... We get the a recap as well of the Nitro Babyface B-Town and 8-Man Tag from last week. Then we get the singles match of the century, Lenny Lane versus Meng. Um, I described it as being a morbid amount of oil on Lenny, like an Exxon Valdez level <laughs> amount of oil spilled on this man. In Louisiana too. Yeah. And um, by any chance, is uh, this the moment you were talking about with more uh, uncomfortable gay panic? So these these guys are having a match. It's not a good match. It's a match. And then the crowd... It's, it's, it's a Lenny Lane versus Meng match. It, it is exactly what it is. Yes, it is everything you can expect from Meng wrestling. A man who yep. has never had a good wrestling match in his life and yet made like 20 years of career <laughs> yes. out of this. One bad, re- one bad wrestler wrestling a man who does not bump. Ever. Yeah. So the crowd decide to chant a slur 
at Lady they, Lane. Yes, they do. Multiple yes, times. Thunder it is. Yeah, it's yeah, it's not just like a pocket of the arena either, is it? That's the distressing part. Yes. Yes. They uh, like and so loud that it was like even on the old standard definition microphones. It was very like it's it's hard sometimes to tell what these WCW crowds are chanting. Very fucking clear what they were all chanting during this, and I was very uncomfortable. They were very united in their hatred of gay people. Yes, they love a bit of gay panic <sighs> mm. for this match as well. For the love of God, yes, of all matches to get like uh and it's not even like it, it was. It isn't even one of those things where like a lot of these kind of gay panic characters would be like riling up the crowd to instigate chants like this. They're offering their thoughts on this young man unprompted. Because, mm. like, when, when they just, did this... They felt like saying this word out loud. Because when they did the Rainbow Express act in TNA, which is the exact same gimmick with nearly the exact same wrestlers, except they changed Bruce for Lenny or Lodi. I don't even remember. Lodi, I think. It started as Lodi. one of them. Anyway, but when they did, like, they would do the, like, the actual gay panic spots and then draw the reaction from the crowd. Whereas here, they're just having a match and the crowd just yeah. starts chanting slurs and then continue chanting slurs and then do it for a third time <laughs> chanting mm-hmm. slurs uh, for uh, the world's most boring match. Uh, at least this time when the commentators refuse to talk about what's actually happening in the match, uh, I can't blame them because it's a bad match and it's a bad crowd. I did appreciate um, Tony Schiavone laying out the various fears pro wrestlers have. Yes. So there's the fear of failure, the fear mm-hmm. of getting hurt, then the, yes. the fear of your opponent, then the fear yes. of the idea of Meng, <laughs> yeah. and then the fear of the truth of Meng. <laughs> Meng, of, Meng as a concept and Meng as a truth. Yeah, there is two separate fears there. <laughs> Meng generates a subset of fears by himself. I, I also appreciate like to, uh, Braid being like, there are wrestlers who get into this business being like, I want to wrestle Hogan, I want to wrestle Flair. Nobody gets in this business wanting to wrestle Meng. If Meng was Nobody- good, this stuff would be so good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, if, if Meng was good, like, nobody wants to wrestle Meng, one, because he's bad, and two, because should you in any way displease this man, you are going to get hurt. Yeah, like, if, if he... And even if, even if you don't, he may just hurt you anyway because he can't wrestle. Mm, like, if, if he was a good wrestler, all this stuff would be awesome. Like, building yeah. this guy up as, like, one of the most menacing, badass dudes on Earth, but he has the world's yeah. worst matches. Yeah, he, um, it's a good bit, I have to say. Mm. Um... And it, look, it paid off one time, and I will mention it again. It wasn't <laughs> you a love this match so much. <laughs> it, it was so good. Have you watched? I it? haven't. It was... I didn't watch. I thought about watching it after you put it over, <laughs> as if it was Flair Steamboat. Meng versus Giant guys. <laughs> I will fucking. I will ring this bell to the day I die. It's one of the best matches in the history of this company. This is what Big E was talking about. The big meanie men slapping me. It's just two fucking useless lumps hammering each other for three minutes. It's fucking fabulous. If that isn't pro wrestling, I don't know what is. Um, Lodi is trying to show uh, Tony that he painted his nails to match the color of Lenny's gear. But Tony absolutely does not pick up on that, even though he's (laughs) shouting it at him. He's just annoyed that the man is next to him. Like, not only is he shouting and explaining it to Tony, but he's literally doing the thing where, like, the most basic sign language round of all time, like, pointing at his fingernails, pointing back at Lenny. And there was the whole, like, like the whole segment earlier was Lenny and Lodi choosing which gear Lenny should wear for this match. Yes, yeah, it's, uh, look, 
he, he can't deliver the payoff and that is very disappointing Lenny tries to go up top um, but in what I think is like a cool version of like him getting into the tongue and neck grip he tongue and neck grips him while he's perched on the top rope and then kind of drags him off the top slams him down uh, the referee counts the pin not for even a fraction of a second were this man's shoulders on the mat they were up the entire time that he counted three would you question they, Mang? You know, Look, all I'm saying is it was at least a finish in a match on this show. So I'm not going to give out too much. Uh, Nitro Girls 2, as I caught up on my recap for that match. This was the um, most out of sync they were. Yes, this was. Uh, they were listening to different songs <laughs> uh, at different tempos. <laughs> um, we get more Homer chat. I know you were looking forward to that. Oh, they they uh, replayed the segment from, from with Sting popping out of the Hummer, though. Yes, and, they did. And they just sh- in case you didn't have that context. And they showed a bump of Sting throwing Rick Steiner through like a camper van, mm-hmm. and it looked awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Why could they not just have like shown that earlier? Yeah, because um, like, the camper van exploded as Rick Steiner was thrown into yeah. it. It looked great. Do you know what I want is I want somebody to recut that segment, and as he throws him into the camper van, just smash cut to Vince getting in the limo and it blowing up. <laughs> That's what I want. That's what I want for my wrestling. Um, so Tony appears to make the massive step of uh, ruling out Sid or Macho as being involved. Ah, yes. The two men most likely to have done it clearly could not have done it. The two men who got out of the Hummer that drove away at the start of the show could not have possibly driven the Hummer. <laughs> yes. Who have been bragging for weeks in it, like, basically saying they did it. Um, incredible. Incredible. Would have voted to acquit OJ, I'm sure. Um... <laughs> Right, uh, NLS, the No Limit Soldiers, and Master P are here for his little brother's birthday. His little brother with the excellent uh, B-tier Marvel superhero slash indie wrestler name of Silk the Shocker with two Ks in Silk. I was very upset because I googled him and his birthday is actually June 18th. Oh, man, they worked us? They worked us. It's been three days since his birthday. Oh, man. It's disgusting. Um, So, you mentioned earlier about this being a disgustingly white crowd. (laughs) The man they pulled from this crowd. (laughs) It doesn't get much more white man in in 1999 than this. Uh, A pasty white young man uh, with a gigantic fake afro. Not sure about that choice. And what appeared to be a corn (laughs) t-shirt. And then he proceeds to uh, sing the expensive song. Proceeds to sing Happy Birthday on live TV. And Master P is like, keep it clean now, pal. He says, keep it clean now, pal. And when he starts singing actual Happy Birthday, they do a good job of like sort of pulling him away from the microphone. So he's not singing the song for long enough as to pay royalties for it, I'm sure. (laughs) That's always the, like the moment everybody learns that and then realizes that's the reason everybody sings free Happy Birthday songs and TV shows for my entire life. Uh Uh-huh. Um, I do think that's Kurt expired, Hennig by com- the way. I do. I think people can use yeah, Happy Birthday now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The person, the last person who owned the the rights died a few years ago, so it's it's uh, it's public now. Um, Hennig is out in a fabulous getup with his like um, his his football t shirt tucked into his high waisted jeans and a cowboy hat, uh, and proceeds to bellow, "Make way for the big guy!" as he's walking <laughs> down. So Ryback owes him some money. Um, his present. Is a cowboy hat. He has a present for Silk the Shocker. It's a cowboy hat. Silk says, oh man, it's just what I've always wanted. And then as payback 
for what uh, Kurt did to the Masterpiece CD. He drops it on the ground, uh, stomps the hat, and, oh, we should have mentioned, because this is pro wrestling, this segment started with a birthday cake in the middle of the ring. So you knew how this segment was going to end before it started. Uh, because once they stomped the hat, all hell breaks out. And uh, as I wrote here in my notes, they caked him to bits. They did. The worst part, because they, they they caked him in the face. Then he went down to the floor and they threw the cake at him and he took a bump. Tremendous. Yes. But the camera missed the <laughs> bump. I was so upset. Yeah, I know. Ah. Uh, and I gotta say, one of the single funniest images I've seen in the history of doing this show is Kurt Hennig in the getup I just described, covered in cake, doing the Charlie Brown sad walk <laughs> up the up the ramp. Five stars. And the, this is like this is how you know an old timey vet guard is like when they know the value of the comedy cake segment. Mm. And, like, the best part of it is, as he's doing that sad walk up the ramp, one of the No Limit soldiers throws the cowboy hat in his direction, and he just effortlessly turns around and catches it, and continues walking yeah. away, because he's fucking Mr. Perfect. Yeah. Great. Great. I-, I enjoyed this segment. I enjoyed it. Um, and it was short, you know? Mercifully short. Um, singles match up next. Eddie versus Hoovy. Thank God. Eduardo Guerrero is back. Yeah, six months Thank out. God, yes, six months out. What's funny is they go his entire entrance without mentioning <laughs> that he's been out or it's his return. And then obviously Bischoff fucking roars at them down the microphone because then they can't stop talking about it. It's very, um, like, this is one of the things where, like, regardless of the circumstances of his car crash and why he was out for six months, you would think, like, a dude coming back from a car crash to wrestle again would be, like, this big baby face push. You do the classic, like, four weeks of vignettes about his recovery and his comeback and how he's gonna, he's a big baby. No, he just walks out and has a match with Hoovy. You've done, you've taken my, you've taken my notes almost verbatim. Um, they talk about the car crash. Apparently, yeah, he did this interview three weeks ago on Nitro and this is his first match. I was like, with all the things, with the amount of times they've done the Piper and Flair replays just on this show alone, let alone all the shows in the last three weeks, I have not seen one second of this Eddie interview. Mm. Like, that should be replayed. And it's like, it's the thing. It's like, you know, when, um, what's the Jerry Jarrett, the sign in his office? It's like real life conflict makes money or whatever the, the whole, you know, that sentiment is that people are fucking absolutely to the nth degree posting and reposting anytime CM Punk is mentioned on Twitter. <laughs> um, but like, it's one of those things where, again, like you said, regardless of the circumstances and things like that, the details that they have plucked from this to bring into the fictional world is he was in a car crash, he fought against adversity and injury for six months, and now he's back. One, yes, as you said, should be a huge babyface push. But regardless of whether it's a babyface push or not, it should be a massive fucking deal. Mm. And it's like, they just haven't mentioned it for three weeks. They have not mentioned it one time on Thunder. They have not replayed this interview segment one time on this show or on Thunder. And like I said, he, he's just back. Just strolls out. Not build to him. Not build to him being back on a pay per view. Not build him in an angle. Anything like that. And as much as I love it uh, in isolation, mean scowling Eddie was not the Eddie you needed uh, on this. Like even just two or three months of a babyface run come on yeah when you look at like the crowd reaction to him coming out again first time in six months after coming back from a car crash 
they're completely indifferent and they boo him during the match because he's, he's the heel. They should boo him during the match. But like, it should be a moment. This dude coming out for the yeah. first time in six, it should be this big thing. And as you said, he does the slow walking, scowling heel routine. Yeah. But like, it's the same with Booker. Like, we'll talk about Booker later, but Booker rena- returned unannounced on Thunder. <laughs> of course. And people were, and like, because of that, the reaction was like, oh yeah, there he is. Like, Unbelievable just cannot stop stepping on their own dicks in this company. Fucking hell. It, it um, must be mentioned, Eddie is fucking humongous. Oh my god. Like, absolutely gassed to the fucking eyeballs. He is so big. He's almost like mesmerizingly big. He is yeah. just huge. Like, the size like, of his even, traps are like, even, how can they be even, that big? <laughs> even relative to his last run, like, he has expanded in width mm. by a factor of two. Like, it's it's massive. Um... So, Eddie fucking batters Hoovy to start. Hoovy is fighting back. He reddens Eddie's chest uh, really quickly. And Eddie has to go compose himself after Hoovy kind of slaps him in the face. Um, and then, I this is where I wrote, kind of, like, just to echo your sentiment, Garrett. God damn, having this guy go back to heel is dumb, however good he might be at it. It's so stupid. Um, it really is just so, like, how... That's a layout, like, the... the the world has given you this potential to make a huge baby face star out of, out of pure circumstance through nothing you've done. And you're like, nah. Nah. Uh, this is where, yeah, people really wanted to cheer Eddie at the start of this match, but he's trying very hard to turn them on him. And I will say mostly by the end of this match, he succeeds. Mm. Whether it's by people that are genuinely riled up by what he did or people are reading context clues and going, oh, we're not supposed to cheer him. Okay, okay, we'll cut it out. Um... Through a break, and Eddie does repeated headlock spots, broken by Hoovy with a back suplex for two. Eddie always fights with pain. Is probably not a line you want to uh, dwell too much on. Uh, looking back, uh, thanks for that one, Tony. Put a chill down my fucking spine. Um, missile drop kick followed by a suicide dive from Hoovy. Um, back in signals for the Hoovy driver after doing a springboard wheel kick. Uh, Eddie grabs him. Oh, Jesus, he fucked him up here. He grabs him, like, in the gory special position, grabs him by the neck, giant swing, and just fucking drops him on his hole. Yeah, it's like a, it's a giant spring, the swing neck breaker. Fucking yeah. awesome. It, it looked great. Like, even Tony was shocked. I was like, I thought he was going for, like, a gory special. I was like, oh, my God. Uh, hits his frog splash for the win. Um, so that's that. Eddie's back. <laughs> All the fucking pomp and circumstances already over. And we go straight into what I know was the match that, Garrett, you couldn't wait to get to this. You couldn't wait for it. This is the one you had circled in the diary as soon as I asked you to do the show. The Cat versus the Flatpak Sovereign himself, Prince Ikea. It's a dream match anywhere in the world between two masters of their craft doing it on a level unlike anybody, whatever that Dave Meltzer quote is. Um, I, but why? Why? That's always my question with the Cat, because there is so much of him. And the, end, the question is always why? As true as I am sitting here, I swear to you, and the people at Patreon will check this out when I dump the show notes at the end of the month, my first word I wrote for this match was, why? It's just like, what are we doing with the cat? Who has this weird, because I, I downloaded the actual like VHS riff of this episode. Best of the cat comp. <laughs> yeah, my, of course, I have that anyway. I have the, the seven disc <laughs> yeah. DVD. But I downloaded the VHS riff to actually watch the Master P performance. And because uh, I'm a sicko who's like, they've overdubbed D- D- DDP's music later. And they also weirdly overdubbed Cat's music here. I was like, what, what was Cat's music? And Cat's music was like 80% the same as the dub. Yeah. And I'm like, why did you dub it? <laughs> Yeah, they they do that like where 
there's a bunch of them, like whether it's DDP's music or it's Jericho's music. Now, Jericho's one, they very quickly redub with his Fed music on the network. But like, there's a few of them where they redub the Jimmy Hart, presumably composed WCW music with something that is like just a 10% derivative on that again. Mm. So it's like the actual change in music is minimal. I thought this was interesting because you're pitting the man who is currently pretending to be James Brown against the man who would soon be pretending to be Prince. <laughs> yeah. And, like, part of me thinks they definitely did this as a feud when he becomes the artist uh, to play this up for yokes. But then also part of me is, like, it's WCW. They almost certainly didn't realize they were doing those two gimmicks at the same time and they never did anything with it. They're not smart enough, no. No. Uh, Sonny nearly fell off the stage during his entrance. <laughs> He's not the first. Hoovy did too. Hoovy did too. He took yep. a hopper during his entrance. I forgot about that. Yeah. Great shit. Great shit. Um, Cat does a little soft shoe while taking off his, his gear to reveal a god-awful red singlet. Mm. This is like one of those, like right up there with the Texas hangman in terms of ill-fitting gear. And it's not like... So the Texas Hangman, the problem was they were wearing singlets that were way too baggy um, and looked a size too big for them. The problem here is that Katz is a size too small and it makes him look out of shape in all the wrong places. Yeah, because at least when Cat was a baby face, he at least had, like, he had some charisma. You know, he had something going yeah. from as a baby. But as a heel here, wearing a singlet, being a serious wrestling man. Uh, 2023 yeah. Impact star Ernest the Cat Miller, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> random cameo earlier this year. But, but like, I just, I, I cannot tolerate actually watching him wrestle as a heel in a wrestling match. No, and, like, especially because, like, him doing the five seconds promo and stuff like that. Like, it's literally the same promo ever. Like, I know... People would get on WWE about like um and WWF about doing like the same Triple H promo to open the show during the Reign of Terror every single week, but like during this era and beyond of WCW, it wasn't just one person coming out and doing the same promo every week. Almost every character did exactly the same promo every single week. Like it is, I'm becoming unmoored from reality when I watch some of these shows because I can't tell them apart anymore. Between this fucking idiot, um, Canyon, like as much as I love Chris Canyon, largely does the same promo every single time. Conan. Conan. His is hugely over, so I can't give out too much. Like, everybody loves it. Everybody chants along with it. So, like, that's the one that I'm like, okay, if if you're going to keep one, keep that one. It's the only one of them that's over. Scott Hall always Um, did. Yeah, Scott Hall with the survey. Like, everybody is just repeating the hell out of... But I guess, you know, the other side of things is they let Hogan say whatever he wants and that you would need a fucking team of translators to figure out whatever the back cunt was saying half the time. Fuck. Yeah, same for, like, um, anything post-1986 Roddy Piper. <laughs> yeah, uh, honest to God. I feel like we've but broadly it, forgiven how bad Piper was for most of Piper's career. This is something that, like... There's a lot of wrestlers I deeply admire who very much deeply admire Piper. And for broad strokes of his career, I'm like, how? Because, like, when you watch the good stuff, it is phenomenal. Yeah. But when you. But it's a very concentrated period of time. <laughs> and then when you watch the bad stuff, it's like, you are among the worst people to ever do this. How is somebody as talented as Roddy Piper? Like, yeah. all of his WCW stuff is absolutely terrible his tna stuff is diabolical nonsense (laughs) like i i recently 
for musty matches I was watching Angle and Sean and that's on WrestleMania 21 and the segment that immediately follows that is Piper's Pit with Stone Cold Steve Austin mm. and you've never seen a man eaten alive <laughs> in terms of charisma like the legendary Roddy Piper was in that segment and then like there, there's like, that there's... like Roddy, Roddy Piper is getting the what treatment within about 10 seconds and completely falls apart psychologically and then there's like the build to that Jericho match at Wrestlemania where he just comes out and delivers like this brilliant emotional promo like it's it's the thing where it's like when he has something to actually work with he's amazing mm. and when he's sent out there to just ah Piper fill some time with some nonsense promo it's like oh no don't let him do that never let him do that yeah it's incredible that his legacy is people like Punk and MJF that clearly model themselves on him in like in terms of like promos and stuff like that and those two guys are like orders of magnitude better than he was for a huge portion of his career mm. a huge portion it's mad um he says uh, yeah Kat says if the fans don't pipe down so I did enjoy he added an extra step to his promo, the cat, where he said that, you know, if they don't shut up, he's going to get Sonny to go fetch his ghee from the car. <laughs> and then he's going to whoop everyone in here. So he does the five seconds bit. Um, Ikea takes him down all over him, punches, whip. He hits a nice drop kick. I'll give him that. Cat bails. Um, and then I saw maybe this crowd very nearly redeemed itself in this moment. Did you see what was happening in the crowd on hard cam right after this? where Cat bails out of the ring. No, there is the bit where Cat throws a drink at him and then goes to whip him into the rail and Ikea nearly falls on his ass. Yes, there is that. But two people in the crowd, two grown human beings. <laughs> One... David's giggling. <laughs> David's on the verge of breaking already. <laughs> One fan, very casually, has his mate in the torture act. <laughs> And holds it for several seconds. Oh, man. I spent most of this match watching the crowd looking for signs, and I'm very upset I missed that. you got to go back to this. It's fucking <laughs> phenomenal. <laughs> because they hold it for a couple of seconds, which is great, because one is like, what the fuck prompted you to do that? And two, the person in the torture rack has a huge smile on their face, <laughs> thus exposing the business. <laughs> Lex's career in fucking tires. <laughs> My favorite sign was uh, there was a Chad sign, which has deep TNA lore. There's the TNA Chad. So I think we found the WCW Chad. Mm, TNA Chad.com. Cat out and hits Ikea with the beer, as you said. Um, What's funny about this match, apart from uh, Ikea nearly falling on his ass, is that he's the babyface in this match. Mm. Uh, That is not a thing that's working because they're booing the cat for sure. But they're also cheering when bad things happen to Ikea. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's like, we know we're supposed to hate him, but don't make any mistake. We don't like you, pal. <laughs> um, I, I, I just started writing, boring, boring, boring. Samoan drop from Ikea for two. Uh, Sonny comes up to distract. Cat gets his shoe on. Roundhouse kick, win. Uh, the thing that I hate about him doing the roundhouse kick as a finish with these shoes on is that he the roundhouse kick connect with the man's head in the only part of the shoe that isn't hard. Yes! That was my exact note. What sense does it make to put the shoe on and kick him with the soft part of the shoe? Yeah. It's so surely stupid. You need, surely you have to do a spinning wheel kick or a super kick. Or at least put like some insanely large gaudy buckle on the front of the shoe so that when he kicks him with it, it's like, oh, he's hit him with the buckle right in the face. Do you know what he should have done? 
he should be doing this with the boot that the guy that was going to boot Bart in the arse in Australia was wearing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> if he had to wear this comically oversized leather boot while he was doing this, it'd be great. Uh. Um, so he wins. Uh, he does his James Brown cape bit. Uh, we get to our next match, which was another uh, potential sweet relief from the uh, what we'd seen so far on the show. Uh, it's Canyon versus Booker T. Uh, I did like, again, he threw one extra line into his usual promo here where he referred to the crowd as the Rajon Cajon. <laughs> and he asked them who was better than Canyon. Mm. To which my favorite part after that was Tony being like, did you hear them say everybody brain? And brain responded, I haven't heard anything in an hour and a half. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he has been snoozing. Um Booker comes out on a rare uh, early version of the catchphrase. He hasn't quite got it yet. He says, can you dig that, baby? Mm, he's workshopping it. Yeah, yeah. Um, this has been, yeah, I, I guess I didn't write a lot of notes on this match. It's kind of just like smooth, quite proficient. You can see that two matches back and Booker is not quite at 100%. Like he hasn't got all the ring rust off, but he's definitely more comfortable in this match than he was in his first match back. And I guess if you're in with a guy like Canyon, it's an easy night at the races. Um, There's a weird, like for these two guys, a weird botch spot moment where Canyon ducks sidekick, goes for like a razor's edge, but he completely loses his footing and the two of them fall on their arses. Mm. Um, Wasn't expecting that from those two. Um, Canyon does his reverse Boston Crab, uh, which gets reversed into a pinning combination very smoothly. Um, Booker attempted a sunset flip but got caught in Northern Light suplex. I thought that was great. Uh, he was like out on the apron, goes to flip over Canyon, and Canyon, like, as he is like, Booker is directly over Canyon's head, he clinches him and finishes off as a, a Northern Lights. I thought that was very, very good. Um, Booker is kind of portrayed as struggling to get on top for long. Like, he has enough to cut Canyon off from getting to his finishing sequences, but not enough to maintain the momentum in the match. Canyon applies a chin lock. Booker struggles, uh, gets put down fairly forcibly to the the mat three different times. Finally, they get up to their feet. Booker jumps over Canyon out of the corner. Sidekick, another off the ropes. Pancakes him. Harlem sidekick. And as soon as he goes up the top to his the missile drop kick the Jersey triad emerge for a beatdown. Um, I was very nice and let you say nice things about this match, Dave, because I'm very polite. Yes. Fucking hated this match. <laughs> you hated it. Oh, these... I thought it was... I thought it was perfectly serviceable with a couple of cool spots. These two went out and there... And then a bad finish. And they wrestled for 15 minutes. Like, this is a full 15-minute match on Nitro, which you, you very, very rarely get. And the entire match is Canyon getting the heat on Booker. Like... Over and yeah. over, cuts them off, cuts them off, cuts them off. Crowder's sleepy. It's not like the Crowder's super into Booker's comeback. And then, finally, you get to the end, and it's like, okay, Booker's making his comeback. Thank the Lord, they're about to get... Nope, run in, DQ. <laughs> I was just like, I have suffered through these people sitting, like, just doing headlocks for 15 minutes. You tease me with the smallest bit of good action, <laughs> and then the dumbasses run in. I was so mad. I was so mad, Dave. I gotta say, how much does it look like Bam Bam Bigelow doesn't give a shit? Even, like, DDP is a heel. It's just not right. Oh, it's... No, no, it just doesn't feel good. But, like, I love Bam Bam. Love Bam Bam. But the very clear downgrade in terms of gear quality shows you this man is smart enough to know where he is. Mm. Uh, He is not putting in the effort. 
Uh, they get a diamond cutter and Nick Patrick, and then uh, Lee's not here to give out to me, so I can I can call it again. Booker eats the greetings cutter on the belt. Is that what it's called? Uh, no. <laughs> oh, that's just I, I just I just dubbed it that. I just dubbed it that. Like in theory, um, on paper, when you like, if you looked at this show and you you showed me like a fifteen minute Canyon Booker T match, I'd be like, oh hell yeah, they give Canyon Booker fifteen minutes, and in practice it was it was a little bit dull, it didn't do much. Um, but yeah, poor Nick Patrick eats shit, even though he had absolutely <laughs> didn't do anything. He just eats a fucking diamond cutter. I love that none of the, like um, the other two guys. I suppose you, you do get the greetings cutter, so there is a technically a second yeah. diamond cutter. But yeah, he's just like I'm going to drop the referee just because. No, it's, it's sorry, it's a greetings cutter. It's a completely different movie. Of course, sorry. <laughs> um, Mean Gene is here. Uh, he describes it as being as us being in the shank of the evening. Is that a thing people say? What What does he even mean? I don't know. Is he could have fucking shanked someone. I wish he shanked somebody. Like, the segment would be more like, interesting if he did. It's like me and Gene Okerlund is like, we're in the shank of the evening. You know that part of the night where we all feel like we want to stab somebody? <laughs> <laughs> Which certainly you felt like that after that last match. That's true. Um, Flair and Piper come out with Asia and Aaron. Um, I guess you're the expert on this comedy pairing because I wrote... What the fuck is Piper talking about? Well, I'm convinced he wants to fight Sarah Michelle Geller. I a main event in any arena. Because he kept saying Buffy instead of Buff. So I'm like, oh, this is 1999. And, this is peak Buffy. Yeah. Yeah. At first I thought he was just doing it to like belittle Buff, but then he made a vampire gag. And I was like, oh no, he's actually trying to be top of Yeah. Well done to Piper for doing a promo. <laughs> <laughs> well done for speaking into a microphone, yeah, Ronnie. He, he know, did right? the job that was required here. I did appreciate yes. that his first line was a cheap sports pop and then immediately undercut it with cheap sports heat, which I did appreciate. Yeah. Um. So uh, then we get a the most like he, Rick since he turned heel the most recent time is like for one of the all time great interviews is phoning it the fuck in with his heel promos mm-hmm. where like he's been doing the like threatening people in the crowd bit to try and get heat and hey guess what Garrett his promo here is about how he was riding Buff's misses. yeah brilliant scintillating thought put into this listen it's WCW it doesn't deserve any more <laughs> Uh, and this is peak WCW as we go from this promo to Buff storming out and we just have a fucking match. Well, at least it does make a degree of sense that it's the two authority figures in the ring. So like, at least yeah. that makes some degree of sense why it's an actual match. Why well, the next thing makes... that happens happens yes. makes a lot less sense. But <laughs> yes, yes. And of course, like Ric Flair just so happened to be in his gear. Yeah, he was, he's ready anyway. to compete. He's a pro. First two notes I have here. This is bad. Piper looks like shit. Um... Flair uh, chopping up Bagwell while saying, uh, let me hear that sound your girlfriend made last night. <laughs> he says it like four times as well. Yeah. He tries to get the crowd roll up and they're just like, nah, we're not giving that one to you, mate. Uh, Piper in to cut him off for not too long. Flair in uh, desperation tries to throw Buff out. Aaron tries to attack. Buff floors him. And I was like, if this if this segment ends with like Buff handily fighting off all three of these men and pinning them, all is forgiven for what I've had to put up with the last few minutes. Mm. Uh, unfortunately, that is not what happens. Uh, the heels recoup. Piper in. Uh, Buff throws him about. This, I think, was the the one where I thought you were talking about earlier. Where like this match went far too long. Yeah, and I didn't know that. I didn't know the fucking half of it. Uh, Piper gets heat and it grinds to a halt. Malenko comes out and instead of being told to get out by the ref, he's escorted to the apron, yeah. and then he starts calling for a tag. Mm-hmm. 
He's just in this match now, Garrett. A reminder, you have the two authority figures in the ring who can say, no, fuck yeah. off, this is a handicap match. Yeah. I, like, And that was one of the like one of the many things that just like put a pin in all this authority figure feud before they were on the same side as each other. Is like when they were feuding with each other, they were both authority figures. No one in the company knew who was the one person they were supposed to listen to. An incredible corporate structure. But you were having things where like Piper would make a decision and Flair, even though he was the president, somehow unable to reverse that. Mm-hmm. And then vice versa, like Flair would do things and Piper would be like, ah. Oh, what am I possibly going to do about this? It's not like I'm the fucking commissioner or anything. It's, fucking hell. Yeah, I, I did realize watching a bunch of matches on the show that because literally every WCW match has interference and then some kind of nonsense and schmoz, you can see the crowd just sit there and wait for it. Like, they, they wait for the run and they wait for the interference. Because when Dean came out, they came to life. It's like, oh, so the yeah. thing is happening now. That That's when we get into it. And it's like, it's it's probably the same problem with the Canyon and Booker match. Where it's like, when those guys go out there to do a 15-minute wrestling match, which does have the bullshit in the end still. Like, they don't give a shit about the 15-minute wrestling, wrestling match. Because that's not how this show works. Like, the 15-minute no. wrestling match is never the important bit. So they just wait for the run-in, wait for the interference, wait for the nonsense DQ. Because that's what this show's about. Yeah. Uh, heels try to corner him off, but Dino gets the tag. House of Fire come back. Um, attempts a cloverleaf. The heels come in. Cloverleaf on Aaron Anderson. Piper hits Buff with the Nooks, and Flair pins him. And I wrote, awful, then good for the bit where Buff nearly beat all of them by himself, and then awful again through the finish. Also, Buff wasn't the legal man. Yes. Oh, I guess technically if Dean wasn't in the match, oh. Buff was the legal man. <laughs> Garrett. Garrett. If you are a pedant for legal man stuff, please immediately stop watching World Championship Wrestling. Also, because it's not going to get better for you. The next match in which the legal man rotates from people who aren't in the match. So, you know mm-hmm. what? It's fine. It's fine. Who needs logic? Yeah. Who needs rules? Like, in this match, Buff hits a low blow <laughs> right in front of the referee. And then <laughs> it's it's so annoying. They do this two matches back to back. Like, it's sucking. It's, oh, this company is fucking awful. And two minutes later, Flair's hitting low blows and they're using nuts. It's just, there's no logic. No one, like, no one sits down and thinks, how does one, like, Nash writes these shows, presumably. Well, he doesn't give a fuck. But... <laughs> Rights. <laughs> he just he's fucking half a bottle of wine, Debra. I don't fucking know. Brass nuts. <laughs> Who cares about the logic or the coherence or the? He's got like a tombola of bad finishes, and like three quarters of the balls in the tombola say running. Yeah, at least there was a. At least somebody got pinned. Yeah, yeah, I know, right? Um. So then Nitro Girls, and then we're on to a world tag team title match, which I don't think was mentioned as a tag team title match until this point. Nope. Whereas, like, I would be putting it over huge as happening later tonight. It's a big match, because it's Jersey Triad, nominally DDP and Canyon, mm. <laughs> versus Conan and Rey Mysterio. Um, with... <laughs> Did you notice who uh, was among the No Limit soldiers. I saw one was Brad Armstrong. One was indeed Brad Armstrong. <laughs> who very much, perfectly, 100% fits the vibe of the No Limit yes. soldiers. I had written, I enjoy, this. I, I wrote this word for word, I enjoy the one extremely divorced MAGA No Limit soldier guy, and then realised who it was. <laughs> Uh, I liked Ray just shouting out his pals from San Diego. 
what is this thing? He's done this several times lately where he's just like, I am going to read a list of every person I know. (laughs) Completely irrelevant to whether or not you care. All all people I've never heard of from record labels that almost certainly don't exist now. Mm. Um, Starts off all DDP. Babyface's fire up once Conan tags in. Uh, Ray comes back in. Springboard on Bam. Who who takes Uh, a bump for Ray, by the way. Yeah, he does. He he's not down for long, but he does take a bump. Uh, again, it's that thing where like big men uh, just take bumps for Ray because everyone loves Ray. Mm. It's hard not to love Ray. Even fucking Nash ain't a pin for Ray. Um, so uh, yeah, Page jumps him. Uh, Conan going mad on the side as Bam Bam press slams him into the ring, which looked cool. Uh, Canyon does a rope assisted suplex. Uh, heels on top of Conan. Now, Must be noted. And that's Canyon what I wasn't in the match. <laughs> Yes, this is where I realized that now Bam Bam is in the match. They're just just Um, rotating people in and out. It's fine. It's Freebird rules. That's how Freebird rules, right? That's how that works. His his gear is very bad. It's like uh, he tried to make a Halloween costume of Matanza Cueto. It's just like this black boiler suit with really badly stitched on cutout letters from a ransom note saying Bam Bam. Um just like have some self-respect mate mm. come on um conan is nearly able to push page back to his corner fails canyon comes in uh hot tag uh shit goes absolutely mental oh like literally i i lowered my head to type half a sentence and i looked up and all the all men in the match including men that are sort of in the match and sort of not plus all the no limit soldiers plus the west texas rednecks plus Perry Saturn and Chris Benoit. They're all just hanging out. They all fucking materialized in the ring and started brawling with each other. And then a second wave of No Limit Soldiers <laughs> and Master P came out. My favorite part of which is if you watch, a bunch of them have no idea who they're supposed to attack. They're just running out and trying to chase. It's like, who am I supposed to run after? I also was very happy to see the return of my favorite No Limit Soldier, the man who I have no idea what his name is, but he is shaped like a triangle. And I love him. <laughs> He's my favorite person. Uh, but this was shite. It must be said, this uh, match followed the exact same formula of the Booker and Canyon one. Or it's like, yeah. heat, 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 hot tag to Ray. Oh, match uh, DQ. Immediately. You get the dot character mm-hmm. tag to Ray. He does three moves and everybody's out for a DQ. And yeah. I hate it so much, Dave. I don't think I've hated a wrestling trope more. <laughs> that like, you do the boring part of the match. You do the heat. The whole idea of the heat, Dave, is so the crowd are into yeah. the comeback. So when you do the yeah. heat, you hot tag baby face, DQ immediately. It's like, why did you just waste all of my time? Yeah, well, Garrett, I'm so glad that as somebody that's really sick of people running in for a DQ, you got to enjoy this next main event without incident. Uh, as Sting faced off against Sid Vicious, which again, another classic WCW, just fucking giving away this kind of match, like one of Sid's first matches back against fucking Sting is one of his first matches back, uh, just on free TV, unannounced. Like it was literally maybe half an hour in, that they were like, oh yeah, we're doing this match tonight. Um, and that was like all the notice. I would have been, if you're going to do it on TV, I would at least be hyping it up from the week before, but whatever. Um, Buffer, horrendous white tuxedo on for this main event. Um, I suppose you're in the Lee Malone chair uh, this week on the show, Garrett. And I got to turn to you uh, and ask you your thoughts on Michael Buffer. I think he's a, a tremendous announcer. I love his catchphrase. I think he thoroughly oh, earned every cent God. that WCW ever gave him. 
Oh my God. <laughs> you are just, <laughs> I tell you, you are, you are, asking for a run-in and DQ on this podcast, <laughs> I think. This entire last hour and a half was the heat and now that, that's that Lee's gonna make his comeback, baby. Yeah. Uh, Sid gets the no music treatment. Uh, Randy Savage comes out almost immediately. I was, mm-hmm. I, I was thinking like, well, at least if they DQ right as the bell rings, we haven't wasted any time. Uh, he beckons for the women to follow him. Uh, he then has a lengthy strategy chat with Sid because God forbid anyone fucking wrestles in the main event. Uh, the story of this all-too-brief match, uh, some might say all-too-long, some others would say, uh, is Sid in control, Valiant Sting, refusing to give up, fires up, and then gets cut back down, and we go through the cycle again. Um, Guess what happens Sid right after for... he makes his actual comeback, Dave? <laughs> Guess what happens for the third time on this show? Guess what happens right when he starts doing moves? <laughs> it's not even... And this one, like, again, the thing about the this trope on this show is how tightly timed it is that it's like immediately when the big move happens they come in yeah it's like, like like it's not even you don't even get time to relax and enjoy the comeback it's like comeback starts there they are yeah it just it's so upsetting i've never been angrier watching a wrestling show <laughs> i did appreciate tony Schiavone putting over sid's massive acceleration yeah. The famous Sid attribute of how fast he moves, <laughs> which I just have to imagine as Tony popping himself by burying the guy by pointing out how slow you he know, actually is. You know what we've always said about Sid Vicious? Great touch for a big <laughs> yeah. man. The crouch of his generation. Yeah, absolutely. The Peter Crouch of professional <laughs> wrestling, as he's been called for many years. Um, Sid goes for a running boot in the corner. Sid uh, Sting dodges. Uh, Sid is up on, somehow in one swift movement is well swift I say lightly um, massive acceleration like, Dave m- massive acceleration broke the fucking sound barrier <laughs> um, he's draped up across the ropes uh, Sting does the stinger splash and pretty much to the second he lands the stinger splash on his back while he's draped across the ropes Savage is in for a DQ and I heard screams <laughs> from all the way down in the south of my county when this happened uh, south of my country should I god say. It's like three three matches on the show because not only there's like five DQs on this show. Yeah, I don't think there's is there a clean finish. One thing I I have to say about the um relative to Thunder is like Thunder has a lot more clean finishes and it's because a lot of the matches on Thunder are squash matches. Yeah, and like I do like there was a surprising amount of wrestling on this show. Like a bunch of these matches got time, yeah. but then all the almost none of it could. Yeah, like because the, the, and then all the finishes were bad. All of them, well, other than Eddie and Hoovy, they just had—they were the only two yeah. people on the show who had a match, who just went out there and yeah. had a match, an actual ass match, not just nonsense leading to a DQ and a schmoz, and the crowd doesn't give a shit till they get to the schmoz because that's the way this entire show is constantly structured. Mm-hmm. That's the reason people are always giving out about like what casual fans think, and I'm always of the belief like fans will believe whatever you tell them to believe over time. It's like, WCW fans didn't hate wrestling. They just didn't respond to wrestling matches because the show conditioned them not to. Over time, the show conditioned them not to treat the matches as important because the company didn't. But you know what the thing is? Like, we... um, There's a good modern comparison with, with WWE and the whole, like... WWE were, rather than trying to build stars, would just repeatedly say to you, this person's a star. Mm. And no one was buying it for a long time until they ran off anybody with an ounce of critical thought in them. And now all the brainworms people are like, oh, well, they told us he's a star. Therefore, he is a star. 
mightn't be able to fucking draw flies, but they're big star because that's what the fucking that's what WWE have told me. This theory fella, uh, Garrett, I'll tell you, big star. It's gonna happen for him someday. Who is it keeps having star making performances? Is it Cora J? I believe it's Dominic Mysterio. Oh, it's Dominic Mysterio has star making performances. Who actually does? He's the yeah. best. I love him. Yeah. Oh God, yes, the Dom Defender has logged on. I do. I love for... Dom. He's such a dweeb. He's so much fun. He, as I said, he's like the crowberry or a David Flair of his generation. There is no surer thing than when I t- stick the brogue into Dominic Mysterio, I'm getting a direct message <laughs> from one Garrett Kidney about it. Absolutely fuming about any Dom disrespect after his <laughs> tremendous performance at WrestleMania. What a guy. Yeah. It's how I'm going to periodically check in to see if Garrett's listening to the <laughs> podcast. Is I'll just go, I'll just go like Dom's a cunt. <laughs> just, 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 just check the old DMs. Then absolutely raging. Um, so yeah, the heels uh, beat Sting down, um, but just before Sid is able to deliver the power bomb, Lex Luger comes out and he's got a chair. He makes the save. There's a standoff. Uh, Macho growls some threats to the baby faces while uh, picking up a chair himself, and. I have to love the inadvertent comic timing of WCW production where Sting gets on the microphone and says, we got two words for you, and then the show cuts off. <laughs> what were the two words? We'll never find out. It might yeah, be showtime. God damn. It might be Joker Sting. Who knows? Oh, God. I was absolutely begging Luger to turn on Sting. <laughs> Yeah. Like I was, I assume he does because he always does. But I like in this moment, I was like, "Oh, for the love of God, turn on him! Please Give turn on him! Something! <laughs> Give me something!" It would have been so um, funny if he turned on him. This has just reminded me of a, of a talking point. I just, I, I have to get you on on recorded audio talking about. But first, before we get to that, I would like you to fill the Lee role and tell me your overall thoughts on the show and who were your winners and losers of Nitro One Ninety Six. So overall thoughts, it was a more coherent, just normal-ass wrestling show than I probably expected, like, randomly tuning into a Nitro in 1999, where it's just like, there were matches, and then there were angles, and there were matches and angles, and they had bad finishes. But, like, it wasn't, like, off the rails, it wasn't incoherent, there was a show-long narrative of, like, Nash not trusting Sting, and then Sting in the main event, and, like, Nash never came out to help Sting, Luger did, which I, I did appreciate, like, a terrible company would have had Nash come out and help him, but then they did a standoff, it's like, nope, Nash is like, I don't trust you, I'm not going near you. So, like, like they're, they're, it's, it's, it's not like a terribly constructed show. It's not a show that you would watch and be like, there is no hope for this company. They are beyond saving. Yeah. They are doomed. It's over. You watch this show, it's like, it's a pretty boring, forgettable, if coherently structured three hours of Monday Night Television. Mm. Um, The final thing I wanted to get before I I didn't do my winner and loser, is... Dave. Jeez. Oh, sorry. 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 I'm just excited to get to this next thing. <laughs> Uh, now I have to think of one or loser. I should let, just let you move on. No, no. Yeah, you should have. Um, I'm going to say my, stuck, the, the one guy who had a match and won was Eddie Guerrero. So congratulations. Yeah. He is the winner. But also... It's three hours. One guy had a match and won. <laughs> yeah, one guy. But also, that match should have been a big babyface return moment. So he's also the loser. Eddie Guerrero was winner and loser. Oh, very interesting. That, that might be a first on this show that somebody is, this, is both. Uh, interesting take. Um, speaking of interesting takes Garrett I just want to hear you talk for a few seconds about um, I know you're a man who uh, enjoys a good drop a hand grenade of a tweet and then walk away Uh, 
how how have you enjoyed the unique maddening sensation that is people with a straight face insisting that the undertaker is far better than one sting <laughs> i don't know like you were literally talking about how WWE is literally built on the idea of say he's good and then people will eventually believe it that's basically yeah. the entire undertaker narrative like for years yeah. they were like this guy is a legend we have told you over and over again, against the sights in front of your eyes often, that this guy is a legend, important guy who's done great, important things, when he has had 15 good matches in his life. And to be fair, some of them are fucking all-time classics. I do think people go too far the other way on Undertaker, where he had all these series of embarrassing performances toward the end where he was crawling toward retirement. Certainly did. But like certainly did. A bunch of his best matches are among some of the better matches in wrestling and at least well in WWE history. And look, in terms of entertainment, that series where he was trying to retire and kept having bad matches and therefore couldn't (laughs) out of his own pride is great. It was very funny. So you heard to say it's like peaks, Undertaker had better peaks than Sting. Undeniably. Like like uh, Sting's, Sting's best matches do not compete with Undertaker's best matches. In terms of like consistently good in their career, Sting has always been good or funny, and Undertaker has been mostly bad and terrible. His character is the worst. Yeah. It's just a yeah. stupid, dumb, dead man character with no depth and nothing interesting. Yeah, as a body of work, it's not even close. No, uh, that was that was my insistent thing. Is like people, if you want to say. The best match Undertaker's ever had is better than the best match Sting has ever had. Fine. 100% true. Can't yes. be denied. Cannot cannot deny that. If you are going to tell me with a straight face, as multiple people did on Twitter, sometimes directly to me and sometimes I was just seeing people tweet it, that Sting has never had a good match or a great match. I had somebody do the classic, like, straw, like the classic, like, you know where this is going, so I'm not even going to engage from the start, where they were like, name three great Sting matches. And I was like, I, I think my response was, Sting has had more, like, entertaining to great matches in his 60s yeah. than Undertaker had for the first three quarters of his career. Arguably, Sting has had his most consistent run in his 60s than he's had in his entire yeah. career, which is quite yeah. funny. Unbelievable. Um, yeah, just, yeah, I had to get your bit on that. As somebody who, like, I think the, a lot of people think it's like, he just, you know, just took a breather on a couch for 20 years in between with WCW fold and when he showed up in WWE. As somebody with that perspective of the, what the intervening years held for Sting, I thought it would be interesting to, to ask you that. But, um, yes, Gareth, thank you so much for being on the show, um, for being, doing a, fantastic job filling in for Stagger Liam alone uh, very much appreciate it we'll have to have you back at some stage uh, before we get out of here um, do you want to hit people with uh, where they can follow you and uh, tell them a little bit about your show on this very fine podcast network of ours yeah you can follow me on twitter at Garrett Kidney J-O-R-E-T-T-K-I-D-N-E-Y uh, you can also listen to You've Got to Be Kidding Me a TNA history podcast where me and my pal Liam we talk all about TNA wrestling we're up into the middle of 2005 at the moment we go one month at a time so we're in like one of the better periods of TNA history so it's a a good time to jump on board and listen all about the history of TNA wrestling and we're coming up we're only like five months away from Sting so there you go that ties it all together and also head to tnachat.com patreon.com slash kidding me if you would like to give us money if you'd like to not listen to the show and go straight to the giving us money part (laughs) thumbs up I appreciate you (laughs) 
I I will also advocate for just giving me money if you don't want to listen. That's cool. In fact, like that can be your tax. If you don't want to listen to this podcast anymore, just pay us, and that's yeah, fine. just go straight. You either have to, you can either listen to us or pay for us. You could do both. You could do both if you want. But if you're not going to listen to us, at least have the dignity to pay yeah, us. Yeah, it's the decent thing to do. Um, yeah, and I guess it would be. I very nearly just closed out the show, but I probably should have said. If you like hearing the two of us on a podcast <laughs> together, we actually do host a weekly podcast together. Uh, um, the, the two of us uh, are friends who have been on various Days of Thunder related things. Mark Robinson and Jack Lazell host a podcast about video games called Link to the Cast. And you can follow us on Link to the Cast. And um, if you enjoy the video games, uh, subscribe to that on your podcast platform of preference. Um yeah, thank you all very much for listening to uh, another episode of Knights of Nitro. Uh, we'll be back in two weeks with uh, another Thunder. Uh, and until then, thank you very much for listening, and we'll we'll chat to you all soon. Bye-bye. Do you hear the thunder? That's a Knights of Nitro, no! <laughs> Thanks, everyone, for listening to another episode of Days of Thunder. Days of Thunder was produced by Lee Malone and edited by me, Dave Ryan. Keep up to date with the show and find all the ways to listen to us. You can follow us on Twitter at WCWThunderPod or click the Linktree link in our Twitter bio or in the show notes. I am at the Day to Dave on Twitter and Lee is at Malone underscore 713. Days of Thunder is a part of the Voices of Wrestling podcast network. Follow the VOW network anywhere. Good podcasts are sold for more fine podcasts than you can shake a stick at. Thanks. Cheering at pro wrestling shows in Japan is back, and 2023 is already shaping up to be a big year in the history of pro res. That's why you should listen to the Emerald Flow Show. From the Royal Road to the Green Mat, Paul and Gerard take you into the world of All Japan Pro Wrestling and Pro Wrestling Noah. Not only do we analyze events, but we examine business, who is getting over, what angles are working, or not. Occasionally, we take a look at other Japanese promotions like DDT and Zero One. So if you're looking for more coverage of the world of Japanese wrestling, check out the Emerald Flow Show on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network, available on all of your favorite podcast apps.